easy solution. This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I am sitting here with co-host and Dr. Extraordinaire Brad Dieter. Brad, do you want to say hi to everybody? Thanks for that wonderful introduction. I don't know if I'll live up to that, but uh, it's great to be here this morning, Paul. It's uh, it's always fun to start a, a weekend off with you. We always have entertaining talks, and you always get me fired up, so I'm, I'm pretty stoked to be here this morning. Well, and the good news is we aren't on the SDN page, so that people aren't like, hey, who's that fucking idiot talking in the background? <laughs> <laughs> I know. People are always like, who's the other person? And I'm like, we, uh, Facebook can only handle one screen at a time right now. So. I love the one lady was like, he just keeps rambling on and on and on. I'm like, that's part of my thing. You know? That, that, that that's Paul's deal, man. That's, like everybody's got their stick. And, exactly. And that's Paul. That's my that's a stick. skill I don't have. I like I just kind of I say what I say and then I'm done. Well that's <laughs> the other thing too. Like uh you know a lot of the times as I'm thinking through things in my head I run through the three or four scenarios that is going to occur to people that we're not talking about directly there. And so I try to address those too. And then sometimes I sort of get lost in that like maze within my head. And so that gets to be a little problematic. So we do have one question right off the bat and I want to go ahead and answer that question. <coughs> Excuse me, still recovering from a little bit of a cold, so sorry. If you're listening on the podcast and you're like, hey, who's that Flemmy guy that just coughed? Um, but Aaron's asking, how do I get the phases in our trend sheets or are they already there? No, they aren't there right now. That is a, <clears throat> a plan that we want to go to eventually. But you actually do have that information available to you. It's your original Eat to Perform plan. Um, you could also probably tag a coach and they, they would be able to help you. Let's, you know, I, I don't know what I just opened up there, but, uh, you know, in, also your PFFL phases that also can be added. That's, that's sort of the graduation of the trend sheets and, and really what you guys are looking at, you know, is the thing that I'm putting in front of app developers right now. You know, and I'm trying to say, okay, can we make this happen? You know, and I know one of the, I think it was Rhett Turnbull was talking about um, using APIs and, and, you know, this has got to be doable. If it were doable, people would be doing it. The only one that I've seen that is close to doable at this point is UA Record. And... Frankly, it's not that good, um, partially because, you know, well, one, I tried the UA band. I gave it I gave it back really quickly. It was not very accurate. Um, I don't know if you can attach your Fitbit. You can you can attach a lot of things. It, it It's a step in the right direction, but it does seem to rely a little bit on calories in, calories out. And so... Brad and I are going to talk a little bit about why calories in, calories out is not going to be just the only trigger that you use. And what I'm seeing with people's trend sheets over and over again is that they're not factoring in some level of partitioning, right? And... You know, there's there's sort of like this conversation going on behind the scenes with the form staff 
where we're talking about it and they're like, yeah, but we got to make sure that we're emphasizing that people need to be exercising and doing high levels of activity. I'm like, they're doing nothing but that, right? They're doing nothing but burning the candle at both ends and they're eating 1200 calories still and they're keeping their carbs low and they're sort of missing a little bit of the magic of what partitioning does. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that as our first piece of kind of the, the you know, um, how to use your trend sheet properly. It also sets up basically the sign up for um, the new certification that we have with Brad. So Brad, why don't you talk about that a little bit where we can kind of run through, I got a phone call of course, so where we can run through a little bit of the course, but also kind of start a conversation about partitioning and variants and yeah. you know, why those things matter. Yeah, so um, just to kind of give an overview is, you know, the first kind of level of the modules in our Each Perform course really kind of laid the foundation and the really, they give you really the big key principles that we need to understand, right, as, as coaches and as people that are kind of in this journey. And there's a lot of really core concepts that you really need to know um, that kind of form the basis of how you can take action and, you know, basically how how when Paul looks at a trend sheet or I look at a trend sheet, we're able to pick out, you know, trends and ideas and clues and things like that. That's kind of what level one does. Um, and then the next series of modules kind of breaks down a lot more of the, the nuances of things, you know, where like Paul was talking about how, you know, all these things kind of come down to calories in and calories out. And there's actually a lot more to the equation than that. Um, the, this next series of modules really dives into those concepts of, you know, why there is another layer on top of calories in and calories out. And it comes down to, you know, partitioning of, of calories, what type of calories you take in and, and how often you're doing low calories versus high calories. It also comes into, you know, what type of training you're doing and what your programming looks like, right? If you're hammering the same nail for 12 months, the results from that look way different than if you're, you know, programming accordingly, if you're partitioning your nutrients accordingly, if you're dieting properly, you know, if you're doing all those things, those make a huge difference when layered on top of the ideas of calories in versus calories out. So, so the, the modules um, in the next series in the course really kind of walk through the ideas and concepts of that and give you practical ways to implement those ideas. Well, and the modules are basically walking people through what a recomposition looks like. And so I think that's a good way to start this discussion because, you know, currently I'm sort of in a recomp, right? You know, where you know, my weight's going to fluctuate anywhere from, from two to four pounds, you know, over probably the next year. And, you know, in that process, you know, I'm going to be working on capacity where you go, well, how do, how do you do that? You know, how do you get better at exercise? And some of it is trying to make sure that you're having an adequate amount of carbohydrates, right? One of the things I'm seeing a lot with the trend sheets and, 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 this is obviously what we're going to be walking people through um, in the coaching certification is, you know, that what most people are doing is their fats sort of drift up as their calorie, as their carbohydrates drift up. 
And that's okay on occasion, right? Like, uh, you know, if it's a high volume day um, and it's date night or something like that, you probably don't need to be super rigid, right? But the good majority of the time, if you can kind of reduce, let's say that normally your, you know, uh, my fats might be 100 grams. You know, maybe on a higher carbohydrate day, we'll look at roughly 200, 200 carbs. Let's say that, you know, a medium day for me might be 250 grams of carbs. That gives me another 50 grams of carbs. I bring my fats down to 80. And then you, you've added some level of glycogen. You've added some level of insulin. You've added some level of, of work capacity in that process. Well, what that's going to do for you over time is going to allow for more lean mass. And so when you just look at it from the standpoint of, okay, I'm going to do the exact same thing, but I'm just going to lower my calories all the time, you're just going to continuously hit those walls. Now, you will also hit a wall in the scenario that I'm talking about, but you won't hit it as quickly because you'll have that variance. And so, Brad, can you expound upon that idea a little bit? Yeah, so, and this is something that kind of took me a, a long time to understand, and it seems seems super simple, but, you know, when we kind of boil it down to carbohydrates versus fat, when we talk about, you know, how we nutrient kind of partition in time is, carbohydrates are really the fuel source for activity, right? I mean, people have this idea that you can do long, slow duration on a lot of dietary fat. And when it comes down to it, that's just really not true. When you look at any of the research, it's really not true. And so the carbohydrate piece drives your activity. And that really should be the focus, regardless of what it is. Now, the fats kind of just round out the extra calories you need, right? So kind of when you boil it down, super simple, you got to get enough protein for a lot of stuff. You got to figure out your carbohydrate intake to map, match your activity level. And there's some other layers on top of that. But then the fats just kind of round out the calories. And so when you have days where you're doing more work, you need to modulate accordingly. And a lot of times you increase your carbohydrate intake and lower your fat intake. Um, and there's days where when you're not as active, you can lower your carbohydrate intake and keep your fat intake a little bit higher. Um, but one of the other things a lot of people don't really think about is the carbohydrate intake actually interacts with a lot of stress mechanisms. Um, you know, we've got things like cortisol, we've got some other, you know, hormones that are modulated by having adequate carbohydrate intake just because of, you know, energy sensors and glycogen levels and things like that. Um, and that's actually a key piece that most people don't key in on. And what we've, you know, I think part of the issue is, you know, there's the, the carbon issue in the industry, but I think those are really key concepts that people kind of need to key on and understand a little bit more. So what you just said, I want to expound upon that a little bit because it, we all know that cortisol causes water retention, right? And, you know, I mean, all you need to do is Google, you know, tummy fat and cortisol is going to be one of the first things that you see. Well, part of that is really water. And if you're not allowing an adequate amount of carbohydrates in, you're not allowing for that release of water. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times over the last two months that I've made that adjustment because what a lot of people don't realize is that we started these trend sheets kind of in group coaching, moved to quick start, and then now we're sort of introducing it as kind of our newer product. And 
what we're really seeing, and I think, you know, a little bit of, of, of you know, one of the things that I did today was I, I kind of highlighted with a hashtag ETP mentor, um, the, the people that are in group coaching, and I did like reviews of their stuff. And when you look at the review that I did of, of the people that are in group coaching compared to the people that aren't, it's like shocking because what you start to realize is that the group coaching people don't have a lot of holes, right? They have one or two things that you can maybe make as an adjustment, but for the most part, they've kind of got things right. The people that are just starting off, they got holes you can drive a truck through. And so what I really want this group to evolve into is for people to look at the people that came before them and see the positives. But there's a couple things that Brad touched on, and I, I really want him to expound upon this a little bit more. Had, a, had one of the clients that I did a video for in the trend sheets, and I mentioned to her that she might want to do some rice checks and um, uh, protein before bed to try and help her get to sleep. She did mention that she got to sleep very easily, much more easily than she normally gets, but she did wake up and she was restless. That is classic cortisol, right? That is classic, you're overstressed. And what I showed in her video was that um, if she sort of addressed the calorie piece and the carbohydrate piece over time, you know, I think one of the things that we're, we're sort of, you know, I know everybody's kind of scared to go through the phases, but, you know, if you were eating 1,100, 1,200 calories and you're supposed to be at 1,900 to 2,200, you should try to want to walk through those phases as quickly as possible. I think we can help mitigate a little bit of the weight gain as it relates to, you know, the work piece and also kind of the sleep piece, you know, sleep's certainly going to have you hold on to a little bit more water than you normally would. So if you're normally getting four hours sleep and when you move you to eight hours sleep, that's going to make a big difference for you. Um, so that that's one thing. You did mention fats and I'm going to kind of challenge that idea a little bit just from this standpoint. Because I think that one, people listen to these podcasts and they feel like we underemphasize fats. And what we and I, I feel like that criticism is unfair because what we're actually saying is, is if you're eating an adequate amount of food, you can actually keep your fats at a reasonable level and also keep your carbohydrates at a reasonable level. And some partitioning matters. Fats is known to keep your testosterone levels up. You know, as a, as a great example, you know, um, you know, when I first started coming into fitness, I certainly had symptoms of low T. I could have 100% gone for hormone replacement. The doctor would have given it to me in a second. And I said, no, I'm going to try it this other way. And the minute I started getting smarter about fats, that really helped a lot. Fats also help with recovery. And, you know, so can you just talk about that piece a little bit? Because I know that, that you know, one, it's one thing for me to say something, but they, they, they want the, the good doctor to, like, reconfirm yeah. it. No, so, you know, Paul, you're completely accurate on all those points. 
Um, and there's, I mean, I think the thing is a lot of people confuse taking a moderate smart approach and assuming that we're meaning low fat. And that's not the case. Essentially what we're just saying is you've got to just make sure that your fat intake is appropriate. Right. And I think a lot of times people don't, they either go super low or they go super high and just trying to find that middle ground is where we work with most people. Um, and so basically you essentially how I view it is, you know, fats kind of round out a lot of your calories, but you got to make sure they're at a level that meets the needs of a lot of those biological things. Um, and I think a lot of times people, people don't really know where that sweet spot lies in terms of what's low and what's high. And so I think a lot of times that's where we kind of key in on is, you know, where is that sweet spot for most people? Um, and that's one of those things that, you know, there's, we have Paul and I've been talking about this past few days is, you know, a lot of times people use formulas and, you know, in the past we've talked about like, you know, half a gram per pound and things like that. But a lot of times, you know, your, your overall calorie intake and your body weight will really change that number drastically. So, you know, somebody who's 250 pounds, um, that 0.5 grams per pound may break down quite a bit. You know, somebody who's smaller, leaner, 150 pounds and their calorie intake level, that 0.5 grams is a lot more accurate. Um, so it kind of comes down to there's a spectrum of intake. And we try to just find, you know, where do we, where do we get the most bang for our buck in terms of fat, in terms of biological need, and then also not subsuming so many of our calories that we need for activity and a lot of the cortisol and stress management, things like that. So that's kind of uh, breaking that piece down a little bit more. So, you know, moderate fat doesn't mean low fat. So I want to bring that back to the coaches certification and, and make it really the argument because, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of intimidated by the coaches certification and think of it from the standpoint of, well, I don't own a gym, so I don't need to do this. It's also really helpful if you want to learn how to make the adjustments for yourself, right? And so, yeah. so that is really going to be a big seed change that you're going to see with the certifications where we want to make sure that everyone understands that this is what you can use to take your eat to perform journey to the next level. What we're going to be doing with like this next phase of things in the coach's certification, we have kind of like this base level of here's how things get set. And that's really interesting to people because they're like, okay, good. I can give this and now all my clients are going to get eight pack ripped. And I'm like, no, that's not how it works. This is how we're setting the baseline. And these are the adjustments that you're going to want to make. One example that I made is when we have new clients, and especially if they're coming from low carb, you know, paleo background, something like that. They do have the fear of adding in carbohydrates. And once again, that was kind of a controversial topic even within the staff of Eat to Perform. But the thing that I sort of pointed out to people was that when we're bringing in the three phases, right, high, medium, low, people are going to gravitate towards what's working the most, right? So let's say that I set someone at 70 grams of fat for a low day, 60 on a medium day, and 50 for a for a um, for a high day. The idea isn't that they're going to be at 
at high every single day, unless of course high is working, right? You know, then then they're going to gravitate towards that. If they're scared shitless, they're probably going to gravitate more towards the 70 grams of fat thing. And then we just try and help them, you know, okay, well, let's, you know, try and not do the same thing over and over again. You know, I mean, you know, I say this fairly often and so do other people, but that is the definition of insanity, right? Is you keep doing that same thing and expecting a different result. And what we're really making an argument for is a little bit more variance and a little bit more understanding. Otherwise, you are going to be subject to calories in, calories out. You know, I mean, make no mistake about it. You know, if you're sort of stuck at 2,000 calories, you only have two options. You go back up and normalize or you just suck it up and go lower. Well, you've been sucking it up and going lower your whole life. That's what landed you to listening to this podcast in the first place, right? What we're making an argument for is some level of better understanding so you can then move through the other phases and move up and down as your you know needs require. Which brings me to an interesting question, and I think that um, this is something that I think a lot of people stumble over as well. So Neil's saying, what about a deload week? Do I just keep my fat carb macro switched until I go back to training? So what Neil is suggesting is that maybe he goes low fat, low calorie during his deload week. I would argue that that's okay, right? Um, But I would still want to vary. I'd still want to have some medium days where my carbohydrates are higher. Remember the whole point of a deload week is to have super compensation. So what you want to do is you want to take all the work that you did you want want you know the 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 work that you did basically caused some acute stressor you want to allow your body the acute stressor body to adjust to that acute stress and then become better as a result so if you just starve yourself for a week you're sort of missing out on some of the benefit of that adaptation also you know i i think people get a little too cute with this a little much you know and they go well I'm not really doing all that much but I am kind of running a low-grade fever and you know what I'm saying like they're not they're not accounting for what their metabolism would actually like to do can you talk a little bit about that yeah no I think I think your first uh, first sentence there was probably the, the key piece is you know so many people miss the whole point of the deload, right? Is the deload is to let your body respond to what you've done to it for the past several weeks, right? So the idea of cutting out calories or reducing your food intake during the compensation period um, almost seems like you are hammering the nail on the wall, pulling it back out, right? right. You've kind of missed the whole point of the deload is the deload is all right, I'm going to give my body enough food to recover. I'm going to give it the time to recover and the space to recover. So, you know, how you do that really is maintaining that, that food intake. Um, that's also a great time to get some variance in because you don't need as many calories for the daily physical activity. Um, so you can build in some of that variance during your deload week, but kind of viewing it as, oh, I need to pull back food because it comes down to calories in, calories out. That's exactly where the, that's a perfect example of where the calories and calories out model breaks down, right? Of where 
there's additional factors that go on top of it. Um, and we talk about this in the very first lecture in those modules is, you know, where is it that it breaks down and why can we not view it that way? And I think this is a perfect example of that. Yeah, I mean, the other thing too is that people are like, well, I did an hour, hour and a half worth of lists today. Is it a workout day or, or, a, or, or a, you know, or a rest day? Well, it sort of depends. But if every day looks like that day, then there is an argument for carbohydrates on that day, right? And so if there's any one thing that we're trying to impress upon people, that's it. You know, so if you're doing a deload, you know, let's factor in some, you know, if you want to have some list days where you're, you know, it allows for some more calories, go right ahead, you know. But my suspicion, and I'm, I'm experiencing this a little bit as I'm sick, you know, I've been kind of publishing my calories and I'm over 3,000 calories. Yesterday was the only day that I did any work. It was sort of funny. I went to the gym and the first 20 minutes, I thought, oh my God, I'm totally back. This is awesome. You know, and I hit a wall like I got hit with a two by four, you know. Um, and, you know, I don't know if I have a little bit of a setback, but it wouldn't surprise me if I did. But in the last three days, I was right at 3,000 calories. I was trying to, to stay, you know, rely a little bit more on carbohydrates, keep my fats a little bit lower. Um, and that like went out the window real quick, went up to 3,500 calories yesterday, or, or I'm, I'm sorry, Thursday, yesterday was probably 4,500 calories. It was date night. Weight is up a little bit for sure, but that food is really sort of allowing my body to recover. You know, you're my, you're, when you're sick, your metabolism is certainly affected, right? Because your, your body's trying to heal itself. And so what I think a lot of people do is they, they, they resort to, well, I'm not doing very much, so therefore I shouldn't eat. And now they go from being sick two days to three days to being sick for two weeks, you know, mm -hmm. because they didn't listen to what their body wanted. I know on Thursday night I, I was doing the webinar and um, I was starving. I mean, like I wanted to eat my hand off and I had a steak in the, um, the, the, the refrigerator. And remember, I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to go higher carbohydrates, low fat. But when I saw that steak, I started craving that steak right off the bat. And that told me, one, I probably needed a little bit more fats, but also I needed a little bit more calories, you know. And, you know, the one, you know, thing that people forget about about fats, you know, people people will often say, well, how do you get to 3,500 calories? Like, like, that's just crazy. Well, one, you either eat five, 600 grams of carbs or you have your fats a little bit higher. Now, depending on work, depending on you know, whether you're sick, you know, depending on a lot of things, you know, um, can allow for those fats to be a little bit higher, you know. But, but in general, um, you know, I've seen my calories going up. You know, even though you can hear it in my voice, you know, I've been doing a few videos this morning and stuff like this, but I do feel a lot better. You know, and um, my daughter, who's been kind of struggling with the same thing, she's been sort of struggling 
for the last week and a half. So that tells me that maybe she's kind of under eating and that we could try to move to that piece a little bit. My daughter is also vegetarian. And so, you know, fats aren't huge in the vegetarian world. So we'll try and maybe add in some more fats to get those calories up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So Brian's asking a question. I'm doing the medium to low days most of the week. Is that bad? Should I be hitting high days three times a week to see how it works? Scale is steady. So one of the things I know about Brian is that he's doing PFFL at the moment. He's down a few pounds. The scale, should it be steady? My argument is that um, his medium to low formula is probably fine. I would like to see Brian's trend sheet, Brian. <laughs> um, if you can get your trend sheet, I guarantee you I can kind of I can kind of help you you know, work through that a little bit. So, um, but no, I'd like to see one high day, right? Even if it's high calories and high fats, that's essentially what a wave plus day looks like on PFFL, right? And so mm -hmm. when you look at how to upregulate your metabolism, how to upregulate hormonal activity, you know, calories and some level of partitioning on both sides up, you know, is super favorable. Yeah, you know, I think one of the best, and I, I kind of have two views on those wave plus days, Paul, is, you know, one is there's a lot of physiological reasons to do it. Um, and two is there's also the mental reason, right? And there's a lot of mental reasons to do a wave plus. You know, one of them is you show somebody, you keep hammering the low, the low, the low, the low, because they're afraid if I eat food, you know, it's going to derail everything. Um, you show them you have a day of, you know, eating a normal amount of food and it actually furthers your progress. I think that's a huge mental win for a lot of people because it kind of, it kind of unlocks a kind of crap that's going on and, and, and kind of takes the blinders off and they see, Oh, okay, well I can do this. I feel better for several days. I have more energy and it kind of gets me through a sticking point. And so I think there's, you know, not just the physiological pieces, but I think the mental pieces of those kind oh. of wave plus or high days uh, are probably just as important. Yeah, because I think what ends up happening, and one of the things that you hear from chronic dieters is I get a little bingy, right? And I think that if you never allow yourself some level of flexibility, that's why you get a little bingy. You know, I mean, you know, I'm not a doctor. I didn't even stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. But, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, I've done, I've done this for a long time. And I can tell you that if you keep banging that nail, you know, it's it sort of, you know, talking about the mentality piece. People say, well, I always struggle because I'm, I'm just scared to try something new. You're wrong. You're not scared to try something new. You're scared to try something new that doesn't work. If I showed you one day that worked, okay, we have a great example. Um, I had a client that was really super scared, had a lot of fat to use, um, and was really struggling and, and been struggling, I'd say, for a couple months as we've sort of um, kind of introduced her to eat form. And so as I started to talk to her and noticed that the things that she was doing kind of looked similar over and over again, but we were also 
really focused on you know kind of a lower carbohydrate approach kind of a higher fat approach at that point um mm-hmm. i was like you know there's just no variance to what you're doing so you really shouldn't expect so i said well let's do this you know let's see if we can do this one thing and then get a positive result so you know I can't remember what her carbs were at that time. I think it might have been 125. Moved her to 200. Boom, lost two pounds. Okay. So I was like, well, let's let it ride. 250. Boom. You know, weight stable. I said, let's keep going. 300. Boom. Weight stable. Yesterday was her last, second 300 day weight stable. You go, well, what's the value of being weight stable in that scenario? Well, it's pretty big, (laughs) right? Because... We went from, you know, having a thousand less calories to a thousand more calories, you know. Mm -hmm. So what do you think that effect's going to have, you know, when we start to actually go to a deficit, right? What we were seeing is that we had sort of hit that baseline. And, you know, once again, I mean, everybody wants to kind of slowly move through things. I'm like, that's fine. If that's the way you want to go, we'll go that route. But I'm just telling you that mentally, if you were to see things working, you would have no problem going through that path. The problem that you have is that when it doesn't work. So when it's not working, you're not cuddling up to the opposite. You're cuddling up to what basically is sort of keeping you in the position that you are now. Does that make sense, Brad? Yeah, and you know what's interesting is there's – kind of two pieces to this is when you look at the the research of kind of coming out of starvation mode is if you look at how people's resting metabolism changes when you go from like not eating anything to eating an adequate amount of food, you know, people think it takes, you know, forever, you know, it's going to take six months for my metabolism to catch up. No, it actually within two weeks, most people's metabolism is almost back to pre-starvation mode in these starvation studies. Um, and this actually is one of those things um, you had Lane on the podcast is when he has people who are coming out of, you know, very restrictive periods, that's his philosophy is he takes, okay, let's just get you out of that as quick as possible and get you back to running at full speed because that's going to make, that sets you up for success much faster and in a longer term than really trying to slowly bring you back out because you're afraid of, you know, a few, a few numbers on a scale. Right. And so there's, there's a lot of rationale to that argument of let's just get there. Um, now it's different for each person, but there is a really good rationale both from a science perspective and from a practitioner's perspective to get you from that low place to that high place, both physically and mentally. By the way, um, that's why we went to phases. And by the way, um, as opposed to weeks and what Brad just said is how I do it, you know, when I come out of a deficit cycle, I know I'm going to have to pay a little bit of a water price, right, of anywhere from two to four pounds. And that's actually something that we've consistently talked about for a while, that you really have to allow for that buffer. It's, it's these folks that go, well, I want to diet down. And, you know, the, the, the ones that are really tough are always the decade numbers, you know, when you're at you know, 300 pounds or or 200 pounds or something like that. Um, What ends up happening is that, uh, you know, they'll get to, let's say, 298, 
you know, and then they want to stay under 300. And so they kind of, you know, I think put the cart before the horse, you know, like the difference between it's an arbitrary fixed point. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, what's the difference between 301 and, and 300? I mean, it certainly shouldn't cause some level of panic. And so if you can sort of look at it as kind of a general gauge and then you sort of knew the, you know, how your body works and how you, you know, things that you can tweak along the way, then you'd be a lot better off. I cannot stress enough how much, you know, if you have a low volume day and that lands you at 2000 calories, as opposed to your high volume day, which lands you at 2200 calories, that difference ain't that big. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you go, well, how can I get variance there? Carb partitioning, you know, cal or calorie partitioning, where you're you're getting the variance from that standpoint. And then, you know, we're always going to make the argument for more work. We're always going to make, but not maybe more work isn't even the be better way to say it. Because I I feel better like work. it's smarter work. You know what I'm saying? Like I feel like I feel like people want to hear this and then want to you know just go you know, run a marathon and, and all of a sudden, you know, they're going to be eight packed up and it's just like, you know, we're not arguing for the couch, but we are arguing from, for some level of smarter. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's a, there's some, a lot of things that people assume that aren't really true. I mean, you really hit the nail on the head is a lot of times more work is just more work. Right, it's not super effective, and I think a lot of times there's a big disconnect between quantity and quality. Right, there's a lot of people who kind of just go and go through the motions, and they're not really focused on what they're doing and kind of the task at hand. And I think that's a key piece. I mean, I know if you look at a lot of the most successful people from kind of the aesthetic standpoint and from the uh, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for the ability to maintain results over a long period of time is their, their level of work would kind of surprise you. Right. But the quality of their work and how smart they are about their work is very, very on point. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who probably spend a lot of hours doing things that are not productive. Right. And trying to find ways to just key in on what works and what's smart and doing that with as much quality and intent as you can is a lot better than just going out and doing as much work as you can until you kind of drive yourself by just over accumulation of volume. There's another point to that that I think is, is really important is that to accumulate tissue, you're going to need more energy, more food, right? But to keep that tissue, you won't need near as much. Now, Tissue is very intensive, right? So like like um, body fat, as an example, isn't going to require the same level of nutrient intake, you know, that, that, you know, keeping muscle on the frame. I mean, if you've ever not worked out for a week, I mean, right now being sick, um, just getting back in the gym and doing anything, you know, my muscles sort of filled up with a little bit more water. It was also date night, so I was able to get in a little bit more sodium, a little bit more food. I mean, you know, my physique responded positively. It's sort of interesting. I, this sort of a whole other discussion. Also a big thing 
from Lane's standpoint, but his sodium intake. As my sodium intake has been pretty good, I've been able to kind of keep my muscles relatively filled. And if I were to lower my sodium, I don't know I'd be feeling as good as I feel right now. I think I'd be a little bit more, um, you know, behind the eight ball. The other thing is that more food is all, you know, like Brad was saying, more work is just more work. More food is also just more food, right? The whole of idea of eating form isn't just to like drink all the alcohol and eat all the foods and whatever the foods are, it doesn't matter. Um, that's certainly not true. You know, eating a bunch of food and giving yourself diarrhea type symptoms and stuff like this. This is one of the reasons, <laughs> this is one of the reasons why I've always been a, a, a you know, what Brad was talking about in terms of like the adherence piece, right? When you're doing eat to perform, you're eating, even in a deficit cycle, foods that you enjoy on occasion, right? And what that allows you is some level of mental adherence that makes a lot of sense for a lot of folks. But when you are doing like these super deficits, and then you've got these big refeed periods where all throughout the week you've got a list of the foods that you're going to eat. And I mean, I remember I remember reading that in books telling you how to do that. Tim Ferriss's book did that, right? Where he's like, he's like, I make a list of all the foods that I eat on that one day, and then I eat wow. all that, and then I eat all that food, and then I basically shit it out all at once. And I'm just like, dude. That is the most effed up thing ever, you know, and I, I, you know, I, I have to say some of those things allowed me to figure out the more correct approach, you know, mm -hmm. but when you look at, you know, eating a whole bunch of food, you know, you're not absorbing those nutrients. You're not using that food. It's basically just setting up a bad relationship with food. And if you're listening to this podcast, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been doing it for the last 20 to 25 years in a lot of our instances, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's, a, there's a funny story. Um, <laughs> Rob Wolf and uh, Greg Everett, they used to own a gym together. And this was back in like 2000s. And they went through a period where they were both trying to get super big. And so they would have days where they would just see who could get the most calories in in a day. And they would, uh, they would take shots of olive oil and coconut milk and butter all mixed together just to get as many calories in as possible. And you can imagine what that does to your digestive system. They said it was, uh, it was always a brutal, like 12 hours afterwards. I mean, if people don't think that I experiment with this stuff, I do, you know, like when the whole bulletproof coffee thing, I mean, I'll just tell you like just a horrific story. So, coffee and fat. Oh. so I'm doing the coffee and fat thing. And oh, by the way, you know, actually, you know, it was funny. So the, the, I have two experiences with, with Bulletproof coffee. Um, one, one of the first times I did Bulletproof coffee, I was doing with the MCT oil, you know, because I need the special MCT oil, you know, with the special butter. And it makes all the difference in the world. Well, the only difference that it made was that. I had like a medical grade diarrhea emergency, <laughs> right? Um, and I was nowhere near a bathroom. And it just, it was, it was brutal trying to find a bathroom. 
Um, my other experience with Bulletproof Coffee was, you know, and I, I keep telling the Barbell Shrug guys that I need to get back on there and just talk about how Eat the Reform has changed over the years. But probably within the first six months, I think it was within the first six months of Eat the Reform coming out, we went from like zero to 100,000 people. I mean, like the message just was like, you know, on fire right off the bat. And actually when I did the episode, as I recall, you know, the CrossFit, yeah. the CrossFit Games page was at like 225 and we had just passed them. Um, and I think we're still ahead of them, but we've kind of, the trajectory has always been, you know, kind of higher for both of us. Um, but they had me all hopped up on bar, on, uh, on, um, bulletproof on, coffee. on bulletproof coffee and oh my God. I mean, like it was, it was, it was pretty nuts. I mean, you know, the, uh, the, the things that we weren't able to say on that show were funnier than the things that we actually, <laughs> actually talked about. And it was sort of funny because I think it went for like an hour and a half. And at about one hour and 10 minutes, you know, I was, I was sort of fried. You know, I always get to this point where after about an hour, I'm like, you know, almost done. And um, Doug just started grilling me on how it worked, you know, how it differed from all these other diets and stuff like that. Most people say it came out pretty good. I still feel like I could do a little bit better job. Obviously, we've been able to do a lot better job, you know, with all these podcasts and communicating it to people. But... But in general, you know, I mean, I hope, you know, we're a lot better than we were four years ago. And I hope four years from now we'll be a lot better then, you know. Um, I think, I think Paul, that right there is such a, a big, important message for people to get. You know, I, I mean, kind of think back in your journey, too, about what you knew at the start, and what you knew now, um, and, and how important it is that you kind of go through those phases, right? Everybody kind of wants all of the information and all of the answers on day one. But really, that's that's far less helpful than going through it and accumulating the knowledge and the skills and the experience as you go, because everything you learn along the way is super, super helpful, right? And where you are is kind of where you should be. You know, I mean, and then you can look back and you can say, man, I did, why did I do this? But at the time, that's a lot of times that's what you need to do. Yeah. And every single time, and, I, and this isn't just from a from a fat loss standpoint. This is from a life and business standpoint. Yeah, exactly. When I am struggling with some level of chaos, I just always break down to what can I do right now that would affect things. And sometimes it's as little as, you know what? I can get my laundry done. I can start doing my laundry right now because that has been bothering me. You know, and I'm saying it from the standpoint of my laundry right now is bothering me. And so I am going to work on that over this weekend. And there's other other pieces, you know, where, um, you know, just from a from a business standpoint, you know, I mean, we're obviously launching this Trend Sheets product. You know, the, the response to it has been overwhelming. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that when I started four years ago, I didn't think that people would be willing to do this level of work over those four years. You know, if you would ask me even three years ago, would people be willing to do these trend sheets? I would say no. 
the fact that everybody's not only doing it, but going back and doing like three to four months, you know, that is no longer surprising to me. That is something that I accept as fact, you know, that people are willing to do that work. And the more work you're willing to do, the more discoveries you're willing to make, the more chance you have for success. But if you, you know, just want to ask questions, you know, and you're not willing to do that extra little piece of work, you know, like I said, would I love it if I could pull in APIs, you know, and get your Fitbit information and get your, you know, my MFP and all this other type of stuff? Would I love it if there was a little node, you know, right above your heart, you know, that 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 took all your calories and, and took everything? You know, I would love to have that information because that would give me the path to get you in the most correct way. But what we're really talking about, you know, I mean, like the other day that I had three or four days that I hadn't, you know, updated my trend sheet. I mean, it took a minute and a half, you know, of just going through my apps and then just working through it, you know, so people can sort of see some of the adjustments that I've been able to make. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, people saying they want APIs to tie all this stuff together, you know, that sounds great in theory, but imagine if one piece of the technology, what if Fitbit has an issue on their end or my fitness pal, you know, all of a sudden, now you've got 90 different moving pieces to try to tie together. The trend sheets are just so much more um, tangible, right? Like you're doing the work, you get to feel it, you're more engaged with it and things like that. And I think the other thing the trend sheets do and um, what I think is going to be, you know, I'd like Paul and I, next time we get a chance to kind of have a workshop on breaking down trend sheets is there's several different ways to break down those trend sheets, right? There's, there's the day-to-day variation where you can get kind of clues of, okay, if I eat high carb and do this on this day, the next day my weight responds this way. But there's also the week chunks, right? Is you can break it down into days, you can break it down into weeks, and you can break it down into months. And really looking at the data like that tells you so much about yourself um, from each different perspective. And it's really important that we do it that way. And I think these these tools are a lot more tangible. And I think the investment you put in is a lot more important than just having the convenience because convenience and um, being engaged are two very, very different things. And engagement is really a lot more important than having some slick thing you can just, you know, figure out. Yeah, if you had a node in your heart, there's one thing that I would argue that that thing does not do that actually could hurt you. And it's action. Mm-hmm. In my view, if you're acting and you're working towards a solution, this is why people just like going to the gym randomly, you know, because at least they feel like they're doing something and they're not being resistant, right? The other thing that I, I wanted to point out is, you know, when we talk about kind of the the variability piece and you know just focusing on calories in calories out you know the trend sheets really show you the value of how that looks and when I went through you know really probably 10 to 15 of these you know when I see more variance I see more success When I see the same thing over and over, I see confusion, right? When I talked earlier about how you, you know, 
start a success cycle, right? You go, okay, I tried this and it worked a little bit. I'm going to try a little bit more and then I'm going to try a little bit more and I'm going to try a little bit more. And then you go, okay, well, I, I exhausted that and that, that I know that that now can work for me. Okay. So then we go the opposite way, right? And then now all of a sudden, not only do you have variants, but, but what, what I really want to stress is, is that yes, you know, starvation still works folks. You know, I mean, there's still a lot of folks selling you guys starvation and you guys are still buying it. Right. But what we're saying is why try the starvation piece first? Right. You know, why not try some level of better understanding? And I think that that's a little bit of, of what's going to happen with this certification. So we're going to end on this note. Neil saying, how do I find the trend sheet? I'm not sure if Neil is in the coaches or a quick start, but basically, um, if, if you're a member, you would have gotten an email from info at eperform.com on May 24th. Look out for that. Um, and so, um, yeah, he's saying that he, so I, I would look out for that, uh, you know, um, email or you can kind of message me, Neil, and I'll make sure that, that you get set up there. So, all right, guys. Well, I hope everyone has a good Memorial Day. I'm really hoping that, uh, did you see the, the picture from my first Murph that I put up? No. Yeah. I got it. Where is it? So Murph was my first CrossFit workout. Um, and that, that's an introduction. Yeah. And so, well, actually, you know, what was funny about it? Um, I, I couldn't do pull-ups at that time. I mean, which is crazy, right? Because everyone talks about, you know, oh, if I just weighed less, I could do pull-ups. I weighed 162 pounds. You know, I should have certainly been able to do a pull-up. Um, and I quickly was able to do pull-ups as I got stronger real quickly. But, um, you know, I, I did a band that for that workout. And um, I was the last one to finish. Um, you're right, it was a baptism by fire, but I was coming from kind of a cardio background, you know. So, yeah, the 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 um, body weight piece ate me alive, but, you know, the running piece and stuff like that wasn't that big of a deal. I also, you know, didn't really know how to push myself mentally at that point. But but the, the story of that picture, you know, I mean, you see all everybody taking their shirts off, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's hot out here. You know, I'd like to take my shirt off as well. So I take my shirt off, and they're like, you know, okay, everybody line up for the picture. And I'm like, what picture? You know, and my shirt is in the gym, you know. So I end up taking this, you know, what ends up being one of the best before pictures ever for me, Right. Because people can actually see what I became compared to what I was at that point. And I mean, you see my shoulders are shrunk. You know, you see my, my chest is, is not, you know, where it is now. So, yeah, it, it's sort of interesting. Did you see it yet? Yeah, I, I just, I Googled it. <laughs> yeah. You did? Man. Yeah. Okay, you should put that picture next to the picture you just took when you were hiking. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's like a, that's like a totally different human being. That's pretty crazy, man. Well, what's funny, what's funny about it is people go, yeah, but what's your front look like? Yeah. Like my front looks like that, 
You know, like my back, my back looks like Adonis and my front still looks like that. You know, how many people have the go muscles better than the show muscles? Let's be real. Not, not very many people. Yeah. I mean, like, um, I mean, but the picture that is on the sales page right now, um, you know, that was the, the skinny fat picture was basically three days after that. And then the, the, the Jack picture was only, you know, a couple months after that. It wasn't, wasn't like years or anything like that. You know, it was just a matter of just kind of waking up these dormant muscles, you know, but also pushing it. And, and I, you know, I, I'll make no qualms about it. You know, I did some things that, that, you know, I probably wouldn't advise people to do you know, um, that did probably help my adaptation a little bit more. But if you were to ask me, I would go, I'd be better off with it. I would have been better off taking it slow. I went from like never deadlifting ever to 405, I think within six months, you know, that's not a progression that I would like to see a lot of people do, especially at, you know, 165, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, part of that back picture that you saw, you know, that was a result of, you know, both weight and also that work over time. I think I, I was a little, I, I wasn't any different than anybody else. I wanted, I wanted the results, you know, immediately, but it's sort of funny because there's the, my story, you know, which I think a lot of people have read. Um, I mean, just judging by the shares and likes and stuff like that, I know that that's been seen a lot, but there's the picture of me at 9% where I'm like super, you know, four packed up and, and, you know, my obliques are, are, you know, super ripped. That is the best picture of the 600 pictures. And there was certainly the black and white element helped. You know, because, I mean, I'm naturally a very pale person. But if, and and I've tried to look for the other pictures, which also weren't bad, by the way, you know, but they were different. And if you look at that back picture that you saw from the other day that I posted compared to these kind of, you know, skinny pictures, I mean, it's very different. I mean, yeah, I've got some muscle definition, but muscle definition at 150 is way different than muscle definition at 175, you know, and that's really the, the path, you know, um, you know, is 9% in my future? Almost certainly 9% it's in my future, but, but really what a lot of people don't realize is the value of that 13 and 15%, you know, I'd much rather be, you know, if I stayed 13 to 15 percent at 180 for the rest of my life, you know, I'd be okay with that compared to nine percent at 150, you know. And people are like, I don't believe you. Well, you're wrong, dude, because I can do a lot more shit at 180 at 13 percent than I could ever do at 150, you know. Yeah, I was actually having this conversation with a one somebody I work out with at the local gym, and we were, he was asking me like, "Oh, what's your body fat percentage at right now?" And I was like, "I, I don't know." He's like, "Oh, you don't measure it every couple months?" I'm like, "No." 
and he, he's like, why not? I'm like, well, do I mean, to, to me, does 7% or 10%, do I really have that much care about where I fall or not? I'm like, no. I mean, there's certain metrics to me that are important and, it, and where I'm at. You know, I'm not prepping for a show. I'm not doing any of that thing. I'm just I'm trying to get stronger. I'm trying to get stay healthy. I'm trying to make progress. And that window for me is easy to maintain with, you know, just smart training. And I don't get so fixed on, you know, seven to ten percent really means nothing, right? You know, and if I were to if I were to take a bod pod today and it said seven percent and three months from now I was, you know, eight, nine pounds bigger and this bod pod said nine or ten percent or even eleven percent, I'd be like, that's ah, okay. You know, I think so many people re- don't realize how much our perspective makes on that piece. Yeah, I mean I think that that sometimes body fat percentage can be distracting. You know, because what I think people do is they they isolate that number as if that's the number that makes all the difference in the world. You know, I, I posted a picture, went to the Beyonce concert on Monday, by the way, that if you get a chance to go to see Beyonce, you that is the best version of that there is. Like, I'm not even a huge Beyonce person. I appreciate her for the artist that she is. But I mean, like every time she did a ballad, I was like, I ain't got no time for this. You know, I was like, let's get Halo out the way real quick. You know what I mean? Like, I just want the the marching, dancing Beyonce. That 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 that's what the show was. That's the part of the show that was amazing. But we we walked past the Bod Pod facility at the University of Minnesota, and you know, I had Bod Podded you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 40 times over the course of like five or six years. And um, there was a distance from it, you know, that happened over time. And there's a distance, you know, I, you know, I said, I have an in-body at my house. I haven't, I haven't been on it in probably a year, year and a half. Why? Because it's distracting, you know? I mean, if you're trying to, I mean, the one thing that I know you know, is you know, and I talked a little bit about this when I went through my PFFL, but if I stay 180 and I'm doing more work, right, and my food is, you know, somewhere in the range of where I need it to be and I'm getting better at exercise, well, then the things that I need to do to get leaner are just naturally happening. So if that on one day when there's a water adjustment or something doesn't show up on that that paper, I don't want that distracting me from my overall goal. And I think sometimes people let, you know, that kind of stuff distract them from their overall goal. Yep, exactly. All right, guys. For those doing Murph, be safe. Uh, for everybody else, enjoy your holiday. Eat all the food, and we can deal with it on Tuesday. Talk to you guys later. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.